0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we're going to go to the core of the European project, to France and Germany, these two big founder nations of the European Union that are both looking forward to elections over the next year and which are both going through quite big political ructions, partly as a result of the refugee crisis, the terror attacks, but are also starting to have very different debates about Europe from those which have defined them in recent years. An article by Nathalie Nougarred in The Guardian last week said Angela Merkel and Marine Le Pen, one of them will shape Europe's future and I am very happy to be joined by Albert Muller, one of the co-directors of ECFR's office in Berlin and a senior policy fellow at ECFR and Manuel Lafon-Haupnuy, who is the director of ECFR's office in Paris and also a senior policy fellow at ECFR to help us understand a bit more about how politics in France and Germany is developing and what it means for the future of the European Union, particularly after Brexit and in advance of this big summit, which will take place in Bratislava, where the heads of government get together to talk about the future shape of the project and the political structures and policies that Europe will be developing. So, why don't we go to you first, Almut? There's been a lot of uh, talk in the press in recent days about the elections in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which is the birth, well, the the home uh, of Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, where the uh, Alternative for Deutschland, the 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 um, populist uh, right wing party has done very well, getting over 20% of the vote and outperforming Angela Merkel's CDU party. Um, but also uh, that feeds into a kind of ongoing discussion about the the future of Angela Merkel. Will she uh, run as a candidate in the, in the elections next year? Will she continue to be such a dominant figure in uh, German politics? And uh, what kind of role will she play on the, the European stage? So, Almut, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown about where the debates are in Berlin at the moment?
1: Sure. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Um, Of course, there has been a great deal of attention paid also in Germany to these elections. Actually, there will be another round of uh, elections in a federal state very soon. That is the federal state of Berlin, which is also the capital of Germany, but one of the federal states of the country. And... um, I mean, it's not only the media that loves the Alternative für Deutschland, um, but of course um, its role tells us a little bit more about where German society at large is at. Um, I believe there is no doubt that Angela Merkel is very well aware that there has been a political force starting to develop in the country that already started um, to get into swing um, in the course of the Euro crisis. Since then, the Alternative für Deutschland had a real rocky time, um, succeeding in some elections, including in the European Parliament, and showing its potential in the past federal elections, where it almost made it uh, into the Bundestag, which is not so easy because there is a five percent threshold. Um, and then has also um, started a lot of internal fighting of over the overall direction, um, which essentially uh, led to a split of the party, which led um, the sort of more liberal-minded um, strand of the party, the one that is largely on uh, economics and around the, uh, the euro um, sort of split. And um, an alternative for Deutschland that we see now is uh, very, very strongly focused on some of the nas- nationalist messaging, um, uh, including on, on immigration. But um I think what we need to be a little bit cautious of in the German context from an analytical point of view is to overemphasize um, because what we're seeing across Europe at the moment is, yes, parties, um, new parties and movements, some of them described as populists, are making it uh, into power. And, you know, I think we need to be cautious and sort of trying to understand what their um, interests are and what their potential cloud is. And I think um, as much as there was already attention to the election result of the RFD in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, we should really see it see it as something that um, I think Hendrik Enderlein, a colleague here from the Institut Jacques Delors, put very well in a short tweet, basically saying, um, let's face it, this is really a German federal state that represents 2% of the population of the country at large. Um, it is really um, representing now total votes of uh, of the Alternative for Deutschland that are about 150,000. So, you know, by no means sort of under, uh, M, under um, sort of, emphasizing that, yes, there is a political force that Angela Merkel takes seriously. Let's not overemphasize this particular election. Generally, it's very interesting, Mark, that you're saying both France and Germany are being rocked in, in these fundamental um, changes uh, that we have seen in, in France playing out with terrorist attacks, in Germany playing out with um, the um, refugee crisis um, that really started a little... Uh, more than a year ago to really reach its peak. At the moment Berlin feels and the wider uh, um, constellation and mood in the country doesn't feel that dramatic to me. I'm not saying, you know, this is. Uh, it's not acknowledged by politicians here that this is a, a very difficult environment that Germany is operating in, both with regard to the world at large. Um, and to the situation in the European Union, after Brexit, um, after the major ruptures that we've seen over the Euro crisis, etc. But there is still a sense and a confidence that um, we, we have an understanding of where we want to go with this, um, the political forces in place are able to deal with it. So Merkel, I think, managed, and that is uh, my last point, she, I think, managed to convey the message that she got control back, um, that, you know, Germany is powerful, that she has the chance to shape things still and is not driven by events.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to interrogate that a bit more, because whenever we do podcasts and we have um, uh, German colleagues on it, they're always saying, you know, steady on. This country is different from the rest of the EU. We're much more rational over here than in other places. There are a few kind of nasty elements Um, in German society but let's not blow it out of proportion and we had a very very interesting discussion back in at the end of July about the what was then being called the Hoho Wochenende, when uh, there'd been lots of attacks by um, uh, recent uh, immigrants to Germany by refugees um, which had started to to uh, really changed the debate about refugees. And they kind of came on the heels of the, the Cologne attacks at, at Christmas last year, which meant that people weren't just looking at uh, the refugee crisis as something which was uh, creating pressure on, on budgets and on local infrastructure, meaning that people were sleeping in gyms. But there was a kind of security element as well. And obviously, with, with what happened in, in Nice and um, uh, and the various attacks in France, um, there was a, a sort of general sense of, um, uh, uh, of menace from, from the refugee crisis. And that certainly fed into debates in Austria, where I've been recently, where uh, Hofer, the, the candidate for the Freedom Party, seems to have had a big boost out of the, these attacks in Germany over the summer, because um, uh, a lot of them were in Bavaria, which is quite near Austria, so it doesn't take a great leap of the imagination. For people living in the Tyrol to see themselves as affected uh, by things which are happening in munich and and other places, but um you think that that it 's right to be that sanguine also just maybe i'll just add one more element, and maybe this is uh, as much in the foreign press as in germany 's press, but there is lots of speculation about whether Merkel's going to hang up uh, her boots and 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 um, ha- um, hand over to someone else in fact there was a, a, a big uh, debate about, about burqas over the summer which showed that 80% of Germans uh, now want to to ban the burqa um, over 50% think Merkel is leading the country in the wrong direction and don't think that she should run again in 2017 so those are, are things which uh, do seem to spring out of these uh, events uh, over the summer and, and which have been coming to a boil through the refugee crisis Well
1: wow, there's a lot in there that's great I mean I think the <laughs> the, the For me, sanguine also, you know, doesn't mean sort of be relaxed about it. And I don't see um, politicians uh, here of the established parties being relaxed at all about the threat of of populism and right-wing extremism. I see they have um, a a sense and a sensitivity for anything um, as they should um, in this country. And I think it really, uh, there is a difference here from saying, you know, a country sort of um, acknowledging uh, the fact that this Alternative for Deutschland is a force and the mood in the the country is not exceptionally, uh, you know, we're not the good guys compared to the rest of Europe. But I think the sense that you get here is that there is a willingness of the political class to push back. Um, And you see Angela Merkel takes this very seriously. When she decided to come out um, to the annual press briefing that she does with Um, the federal press conference here, the assembly of um, accredited journalists in the German capital, German journalists, she came and interrupted her holidays um, because she deemed it was very important to get some messages to her fellow Germans after the attacks that you were talking about in the south of Germany. So I think she takes this very, very seriously. If you look at the way she talked uh, in the budget negotiations in the Bundestag today, which is an opportunity, of course, um, for the government to say why it wants to allocate X amount of resources to what policy in the next year, and also for the opposition to have a, a go at this and to really develop some you know, lines of, of criticism. She addressed something that I find fascinating. I mean, of course, she talked about the refugee crisis and why she thought um, it was now under control. She's operating against this notion of loss of control, she says, we're back in the driving seat. This can be controlled, and we're controlling it. We're giving money not only to the refugees, but we want this to work and to succeed. And and this is what I found really most fascinating. She talks about um, how to deal with change. And this is a pattern that I think she's been elaborating over the past months and years already. She's trying to sort of prepare an electorate for the fact that, of course, this country is not an island. It's affected by... Um, the waves of globalization, it's affected, it can seize the opportunities, but it's also affected by the dark sides of globalization. And she is convinced that this country and the citizens alongside with us have to change, be open to change. And she talked about how change is a regular and very, very important pattern of all our lives, that we need to be able to embrace it. And I think that is really fascinating. She tries sort of at a very abstract level to create a space um, for people to think of Germany as Germany, as Deutschland with the things that are cherished about us, but also as open to change and adaptation. And I find that a very interesting move. So,
0: But that's her, her speciality, isn't it? On the Euro crisis, she, she both tried to prepare people for change by kind of telling them that she would like uh, dig, a, 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 draw a line in the sand. So you had the idea of the debt break or the Schösenbremse as a way of uh, telling people that there would be limits to the profligacy of southern European countries. Is the BOKA ban the uh, cultural equivalent of the of the debt breaks? For-
1: you know, I don't think the Burka ban is something that played so heavily out here in the German uh, context. Of course, it's being discussed. It was already discussed over the past years. You know, this is an, a debate that is resonating with Germans because we had discussions about the identity of Germany only having become a country of migrants more recently this was never part of our identity we went through ways of discussing what kind of um, you know religious symbols should be allowed in our schools whether we should accept um hedge uh, teachers in schools for instance and the Boka is yet another round uh, of that and i have to say i mean from my point of view yes there are many people um, speaking against it but i never took very seriously um the sort of you know the will, or let me put it like this: I would not expect Angela Merkel to come out with a policy proposal that you know would say this is really the answer um, to the problems we're we're having with regard to refugees. This is this is not how generally the the debate here works. Um, we're looking at a relatively small number of uh, women who are wearing the bokeh in, in this country. 300, apparently. That's Actually, I've answers. heard several uh, numbers. Six thousand was the most credible one, but you know, still so. Proportionality is something that is, is being looked at. And I think um, there will be more of a focus on, yes, of course, the cultural differences with, you know, people that are not even wearing the vodka, um but that have arrived in, in our country. I think
0: I saw more people in, uh, in Mayfair yesterday um, uh, wearing bookers than I've ever seen in Germany in 40 years of going there. But um, <laughs>
1: you, you see them in, in places over the summer, I believe, where it's cooler and nicer to be in, in this part of the world. But I think we should really look at this um, Boca discussion. And even though some have come out with very strong views, some maybe also you know future ambitious uh, Christian Democratic uh, politicians, there is uh, something uh, in there. People can be sort of dragged into in their identity by by questions of you know women's rights, etc., etc. But I still believe Angela Merkel and um, you know her um, advisors have a sanguine approach to this. They see the major battles elsewhere. They see the major battles in how to integrate peacefully and sustainably into the economic life of this country, into the social life, um, the large number of people who are coming here, but of course who do not wear a burqa. Okay, and so I'm not saying this. This will all be looked at in a very serious manner, yet with the trust and confidence that the government or the, the, the political uh, uh, elite has found back control and is able to steer, uh, and a country that is powerful enough to steer things at European level, at global level. And I think this might be a difference to the situation in France. Um, but, of course, that will be Manuel to talk about that.
0: Yeah, well, thanks. So, sorry, we went down a bit. I was planning to come to France earlier, uh, but we, we got... Um, uh, into all of these big German debates, uh, Manuel. Uh, I started the, the podcast with this kind of duality where there's a, an article by Nathalie Nougared who said that Angela Merkel and Marine Le Pen, one of them will shape Europe's future. Um, so you have been in France talking about a lot of the same issues but more from a from a security prism, I think, than a refugee prism because of the, the horrific attacks in Nice uh, which come on the back of, of other attacks earlier in the year. And whilst the Germans have been talking about burka bands, it's been burkinis which have been uh, capturing the headlines in, in France. How do you see uh, French politics uh, evolving? And how, do you see much of an interplay between the sort of uh, policies that Angela Merkel has been adopting and, and the role that Germany's been playing and, and uh, the shape of domestic politics in France?
2: Well, um I think to to make uh to to cut off the suspense from uh, Nathalie Nougat's piece, uh Merkel definitely has much more uh chance uh probability to be elected uh, for another term than Le Pen has uh, to be elected to, to the French presidency. Uh but it is true that the the French situation is uh, so that this has become uh not just an hypothesis but actually something that is plausible it's not the most likely uh, outcome of uh, next may uh, presidential election but it's it's a plausible uh, uh, outcome of it you've said that france has uh, discussed those same issues more from a security prism rather than from a refugee crisis prism it's true the thing is also that France has been discussing this for many years, uh, whereas my understanding of the German situation is that the refugee crisis has really started uh, a different conversation. The conversation was there already about integration and uh, immigration, etc., but really has changed with the, with the refugee crisis. In France, it's somewhat the continuation of a discussion that has been ongoing for years, if not for decades, since, since the mid-80s. At least, no? Well, I, I think the, the economic situation change in the seventies really started the brand of conversation that we are having now. So I would say end of seventies, early eighties. And it's about security. It's also about economic and social um, situation. Uh, and, but more and more, and that's, that's the evolution precisely since the eighties. Uh, it's also about identity. This Burka ban, uh, which was instituted in France in uh, 2010, um, is based on security concerns. It's basically the law says it doesn't say that the Burka is banned. It says that you can't hide your face in public out of security reasons, even though the Burka was the reason why the law was adopted. Um, But there's a strong identity dimension to it. Hence the discussion about the Burkini. It's really something about um, does the Burkini reflect something on the role of women, uh, the link to radical, uh, a radical version of Islam, uh, the link to, uh, such radical version of Islam that it's, uh, um, jihadist uh, Islamism, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think that's, that's really the, the key difference, uh, with Germany and that probably, um, th- there would be a lot of comparison that would be interesting to do with Germany, but I don't think that what is happening, in terms of domestic politics and domestic policies in Germany on those issues, really have an impact on the French discussion because the French discussion is already so much, uh, so deeply already engaged after all these years and decades of uh, discussion on all, on all these issues.
0: So Nathalie ahead's argument is less that Marine Le Pen will be the next president, though, as you say, that's not a joke anymore, the idea that she might be, but it's more that she's defining the political agenda that uh, Hollande has become incredibly weak, is even weaker after his uh, economy minister, uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron, resigned. Um, uh, but also that, that uh, when it comes to other candidates, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy is, is the one who has got the, uh, the most energy and the, the, the most kind of will uh, for power. And his strategy, in Natalie's words, is is about imitating rather than disputing Le Pen's line of thinking.
2: Well, to be, I think, on a personal basis, I would very much agree with Natalie. Uh, to be fair, what he says is precisely uh, the kind of thing that Manuel Valls, in a different uh, perspective, the Prime Minister, is also saying: is there are issues that the French people care about that are um, actually not just concerns in terms of perceptions, but which are substantiated by the situation, the social situation, the security situation, and both the mainstream right and the left needs to be able to uh, occupy space uh, and, and uh, address those issues. Then the question is, how do you address them? Do you address them by being a kind of a copycat and trying to uh, play a... Uh, uh, um, a, a kind of, I'll be stronger, more firm, more, uh, 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 robust, more, uh, vocal than you are. Or do you play by, uh, trying to find a, a different way to address those issues? There's, there's a famous say, which I think was by Fabius, which was Le Pen, that was the father at the time, asks the right questions, but gives the wrong answers, uh, at, when Fabius made that statement, a lot of people disputed that uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen was actually even asking the right questions. That's less and less the case. People say, okay, these are true questions, at least because the French people, the French voters believe they are true questions. The the, the issue is about what is the answer to those questions. And that's part of the debate within the, the primary process for Les Républicains, the mainstream re- right party, uh, between Juppé and Sarkozy. Juppé is... Deliberately, uh, very with a lot of emphasis, trying to set a different path and a different kind of response, uh, with uh, more moderation, uh, um, more um, getting back to uh, traditional social and economic issues, uh, putting the emphasis on uh, education and integration, and uh, Sarkozy is uh, on a much more uh, as as you said, uh, on a much more identity politics uh, um, pattern. Uh, And some people say that the the defining election uh, will not be the first or the second round of the French presidential election in April and May next year, but will be the primary election for Les Républicains uh, next November, because the candidates that will win that election will actually is likely to be the one with the most chances to win the election uh, next May.
0: So we've gone to, in quite a lot of uh, depth into both the Franco and the German political psychodramas as they unfold in different places. But the two uh, are going to come together in some form as the Franco-German engine or not when Europe's leaders meet in Bratislava to talk about the future of Europe um, as after the, the Brexit uh, discussions. There will be no British Prime Minister in the Slovakian capital when people meet. Maybe we can just end by, it would be great to hear from both of you what you think uh, is going to come out of that. Will there be things from a European level uh, which could actually help uh, to to put the debates in the two countries that you've been discussing back onto a, a more healthy footing? and do you want to go first?
1: yeah i think there is a great sense of realism um about this uh happening here in in berlin of course uh, this will not really be a summer on the future of the european union and you know major decisions on um the path ahead after the brexit vote but this will be very much a working meeting because the german um and if you look at angela merkel travelling around i mean again she takes the situation in the EU very seriously as one where the centrifugal forces are strong and she tries to build, um, you know, caucuses and groups of countries, again, around a shared objective um, that is very straightforward um that doesn't need to be reinvented. That is about prosperity and security of our citizens. Um, the United Kingdom has left. Um, this is already taken into account as, as a, a fact or is on its way out And um, the attempt is now to talk about the problems that we wanted to solve alongside uh, with uh, Britain as a partner, but now um, needs solving in the EU 27. And um, the German understanding is any future of the EU debate is not one that involves, you know, an institutional debate looking at what the future shape of variable geometry or different speeds or whatever will look like or the roles of different institutions. But I think from Merkel's point of view, and this is very much the sense you get also, if you look at the press conferences she did across Europe, that is saying we need to get things done. For Germany, there is no doubt um, that the European Union level is part of finding solutions to these problems. Of course, it's not the only level. We have a whole number of instruments at our hands. Um, We can do a lot at national and subnational level. We can do a lot as as g Um, countries that are convening, we can do a lot at the same time at EU level. And we're trying to build alliances to do that. And of course, um, Paris is always a very, very important point of call in this. Um, But there is a sense, and I think, Joseph, my colleague here in the co-directorship is writing about that in this week's uh, note from Berlin, that um, there is a sense that, you know, we need to get things done and not do so much talking about things, which was very much the sort of overall glue Um, in the German and wider sort of continental Europe Europe debate. Um, This is not about um, the glossy talk about, you know, how we can be great together as Europeans. This is about a really difficult and messy business of navigating um, a continent whose societies have come under threat in terms of their prosperity and security. And let's be really sort of acknowledging that and let's get our uh, act together and try where we can. And that is very interesting. That would be my last point, Mark, in the um, messages that are sent out by Angela Merkel. Of course, the nation state plays a role here. This is no idealization of a distant EU level that will solve our problems, but um, it pulls or it draws on, on, on a sort of expectation among citizens that, of course, um, a nation state, um, a country as powerful as Germany has a role in that but it does so in concert with its European um, partners. And um, I think this is important messaging against the domestic background in Germany that we've been describing. And in that sense, I'm not a, a, a complete optimist. Actually, I'm more on the sort of cautious side of things because I believe there is a possibility that the German public at large and even the political elite in this country might ask fundamentally, why do we give so many resources to an EU level if ultimately it's not helping us tame and leverage our power as Germany at the same time. So what is this union for? I don't think German society and the political elite are immune to doubts about this. And uh, you know, to, to give you a sort of, um, more sobering, sobering analysis, Merkel is trying to, to still build that uh, support by acknowledging that this is a very different environment to the Europe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago.
0: Thank you very much, um, Almut. So Manuel, what were you expecting from Paris?
2: I think there's very much uh, there's a lot in common uh, with what uh, Almut has just said, um, and and the key uh, common pattern is what uh, Almut had said earlier about trying to uh, show the European public, the French public, that there is some control. Uh, over events, whether it 's the refugee crisis, whether it 's the economy, whether it 's the terrorist threats, uh, each country may have its own priorities, but there 's definitely a common pattern across Europe, which is uh, the, the lack of confidence in the institutions having any control over events and any ability to actually uh, deliver uh, to their to their citizens uh, in france obviously there 's a huge emphasis uh, on security, but um, the economy is also very much there and um, there there is uh, the idea uh, from the French uh, side that uh, Europe needs to deliver on key uh, economic and social issues that show that there's a way to reinforce the cohesion, uh, for instance, on uh, uh, the youth unemployment, uh, reinforce the cohesion amongst uh, Europeans. Um, in Bratislava, I think that when, when you talk to people here in Paris, they very quickly arrive to the point where they speak about expectation management, because nobody believes that Bratislava is going to give all the answers to, uh, to those issues. Uh, and yet everybody understands that just having a kind of a brainstorming session or just, uh, uh. Uh, Each each arriving uh, to the table with his own vision, his national vision, trying to uh, build a common vision is not going to be enough. You need actual responses to the the people's concerns. And so Bratislava for the French is uh, more of a moment where you need to show that things are happening and are going to uh, continue happening that will have an actual impact on a few uh, very well-selected uh, priorities that the European need to work on, which would be, obviously, the refugee crisis and migration, which would be security, and in the French uh, understanding, it's uh, both internal and external security, including defense, and which would be, as I said earlier, economic and social cohesion. And to do that, there definitely is an important uh, partner, which is Germany. It's important Even more, I would say, after uh, Brexit. And it's also important uh, because these are issues on which uh, the French and the German have not always the same vision precisely and not always the same priorities. And there's a clear uh, understanding that you need to get better at working out uh, the differences and and nonetheless being able to uh, move forward and deliver. And I think efforts are, are necessary on both sides. And Bratislava will be a good moment to assess whether efforts have been done on on both sides. So we
0: can see that the two sides of the Franco-German engine are not necessarily optimally aligned with each other. But I think the bigger picture is the fact that the EU is going through a new phase of its development where people are less interested in tearing down barriers between countries and more interested in working out how they can get some kind of protection from the chaos which they see coming out of interdependence and out of European integration so that brings me to the last part of the podcast which is the bookshelf segment so Almut What's on your bookshelf at the moment?
1: It might sound a bit um, gloomy, but I've been really wanting to read this book again for a while because when I first did a couple of years ago, it was so rewarding. And that is Philip Bloom's *Der Taumelnde the Kontinent*, the Tumbling Continent, writing about Europe um, on the eve before the start of the First World War. And I think uh, this historian has really um, written an exceptional account of, you know, what the mindset was and the zeitgeist around this time. And I find it really, really uh, fascinating to go back and revisit um, this sort of Europe connected in in those days. Um, I wouldn't overemphasize drawing conclusions for where we're at now, but um, like I said, I've been I've been fascinated um, the the way I looked at this a few years ago when I when I read it, and I I want to do that again because I tend to be a person that rereads books, and sometimes I even mark little things that I. That I like in them. So I recommend Philip Blom's Der Taumelnde Continent. The Tumbling Continent, I think it's even it was first published in in English and only later on in German.
0: And Manuel, what is on your bookshelf at the moment? Actually,
2: uh reading uh Anthony's work in a soon to be published uh, paper on new European counter terror wars. Uh and yes, uh that's that's uh Reading the draft, so I can't say for the, for the final product, but usually the final products are even better than the draft, and the draft is already quite terrific. This is about how the Europeans, uh, have, uh, after having criticized the U.S. very militarized response to terrorism after the September 11 attacks, are themselves, uh, delving into a more militarized response to the terrorist threats, and, and what are the key challenges Uh, in doing that, uh, whereas we are 15 years after September 11.
0: So for myself, I'd like to recommend a piece which Almut recommended earlier on, which is by Josef Janning, looking at the view from Berlin at the moment, which we will put up on our website, alongside links to all the other things that we mentioned. That's at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you have enjoyed this podcast, Please tweet about it, write to us about it on our Facebook page, post about it on your own Facebook page, or give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud. And uh, do feel free to get in touch with reactions or suggestions for future topics or people for me to talk to at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Almut Müller, Manuel Lafon-Rabnouille, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The editor of ECFR's podcast is Katarina Botel Tinaro, and our researcher is Ulrika Franco.